Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about wheat pre-emerge herbicides, but we would be happy to discuss anything that's going on on your farm as well. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to call in. Again, that number is 844-442-4743 or send us an email radio at agphd.com. All right, so when we talk wheat pre-emerge herbicides, I'll just tell you some of these products can be used in other crops as well. Um, And so we'll talk about that throughout the show today. I'll start you with just a couple of three things here though to begin with my favorite products if we start talking about wheat pre-emerge herbicides would include sharpen prepare and anthem flex so uh, let me say this i i realize you may never have used a pre-emerge herbicide in front of your wheat but the reasons why i encourage you to do it are number one you're going to get a lot better weed control number two you're going to get higher yields If you have better weed control, that leads to higher yields, and that's just, I mean, it almost always works out that way. And then the third thing is it just doesn't cost a lot of money to put out these pre's in wheat. So the product that I like the best is the most expensive. You're probably going to spend eight or nine bucks an acre to get two ounces of Sharpen. So if you've heard of BSF advertising Kixor, for example, that is Sharpen. You can't buy Kixor by itself, but you can buy Sharpen. It's the same thing. With that Sharpen, it's in a number of different premixes in corn, in soybeans, and then you can use it straight in front of wheat. And I like it so much because it's amazing on most broadleaf weeds, especially some of these tough ones that we deal with in wheat, like kochia and a lot of the winter annuals. So if you've got those before you seed your winter wheat, or for that matter, even if you want, after you seed your winter wheat this fall, just make sure it's still pre-emerge when you spray. You can't have the wheat up when you're spraying Sharpen. But use the Sharpen, and if nothing else, at least try it on the weediest acres that you've got. Because I talk to farmers all the time that are having problems with broadleaf weeds in wheat and you don't need to. You can stop them pre with Sharpen. The other nice thing about it is it's a mode of action. It's a PPO, uh, but it's a mode of action that you're not going to use post-emerge in wheat. So getting a different mode of action out there is really nice if you're concerned about resistance, which we almost always are. All right, the second one I would tell you, and I was just talking about resistance, and this is an ALS herbicide. So I realize you might say, wait a second, why do I want to use an ALS? Well, look, I realize there are a lot of ALS-resistant broadleaf weeds. There aren't too many broadly or too many grasses, though, that are resistant to ALS products. And that's what Prepare can give you is some grass control, especially on some of the tougher grasses like the brome species, downy brome, Japanese brome. Uh, you'll, you'll get, I'm not going to say perfect control, but you're going to get pretty good suppression for 3 to $4 an acre. Does not cost much at all. Now, if you want a different mode of action for grass, what I'd encourage you to do is use Anthem Flex. What that's got is the active ingredient found in Zidua, that's a group 15, plus AIM, that's a PPO. And this has to be used either late pre or very early post. So, I mean, literally like two days before the wheat comes up or 
just a few days after the wheat emerges. That's when you spray Anthem Flex. You can't spray it early pre and you can't spray it late post. But right around that window where the wheat's just going to be coming out of the ground, that's about the time you want to spray this Anthem Flex. And we like this, again, because it's got that different mode of action. Now, granted, it's, an, it's a mode of action we use all the time in corn and beans. But if you raise a lot of wheat on your farm and you want something different besides ALS or ACCA's products for grass control post-emerge, then use this pre or very, very early post. Anthem Flex would be that product. doesn't cost a lot of money uh, also, so I'd, I'd just encourage you with any of these, try them, at least try them on your weediest fields. You can see what you think, but all I can tell you is I love pre-emerge herbicides with pretty much any crop re-raise. It's so important if you want to get started with great weed control, so then you can have higher yields. And you might you might just say, well, you know what, I can kill all my weeds post-emerge. You may be able to. But the problem is when you let weeds get out of the ground, now they start taking yield. They rob water, they rob nutrients, and in dry years like this one throughout much of the northern United States, in a dry year like this, that weed comes out of the ground at all and it's taking your yield. So I, I, I know that if you farm in a dry area, you may say, look, Brian, I can't spend much because I'm in a dry area. I don't have much yield potential. I understand all that. But I, where I'm coming from here as an agronomist, I will just tell you in dry years, weeds hurt you more. So weed control and especially pre-emerge weed control is way more important than a dry year in a dry year or in a dry area. So again, if nothing else, at least try some, split some fields, run your own tests. But we almost always find that these pre-emerge herbicides really, really pay. All right, so we will talk about these wheat pre-emerge herbicides throughout the show. And, you know, as I was saying earlier, some of these do translate to other crops. Like Sharpen, for example, that's one of my favorite pre's in corn. It's just that usually people are using Verdict, for example. So if you watch us on TV or you hear us talking here on the radio show about weed control in corn... One of the very best pre's is Sharpen, or again, the combination Verdict that would have Outlook in it. Outlook plus Sharpen, that's what Verdict is. So that translates over to corn. Fantastic broadleaf killer there. You look at Anthem Flex. There are a bunch of other anth anthems used, like Anthem Max, for example, is used in corn and soybeans an awful lot, and that's just the combination of Zidua and Cadet. Anthem Flex, for that matter, though, could be used in corn or soybeans just make sure you're checking the label use it at labeled rate and all that kind of thing and prepare that's very similar to everest 3.0 that you would use post-emerging wheat so it's just prepare is everest without the safener so that's why you want to use the prepare pre you use the everest 3.0 with the safener post and you'll be in good shape Okay, um, we're going to get to your questions a little bit later here in the Ag PhD mailbag. I've already been getting some uh, questions in, so we'll get to those shortly. Uh, but coming up next, we'll talk wheat pre's. Stay tuned. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. 
AgroLiquid. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're talking a little about wheat pre-emerge herbicides, but we would be happy to talk about anything you would like to discuss. If you want to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Or we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag a little bit later in the show. If you've got a question for us there, just email us radio at agphd.com. All right, so first on the show today, we got Lee Lubers, he is a farmer with Extreme Ag and uh, one of the top farmers in our region, certainly. He is from South Central South Dakota. Lee, how are you doing today? Doing good. All right, so we're talking about wheat pre-emerge herbicides today. And I, I just am kind of curious, what do you do on your farm? Do you use much in terms of pre's for wheat? Uh, we will in certain situations. Uh uh, a few years ago, we had some new ground that we acquired, and we figured out in a real hurry it had a wild oats problem. So we uh, incorporated in some prepare uh, in with our last pass for a burn down ahead of planting, and it did a phenomenal job. So, And we have worked to sharpen a little bit, too, like on some kochia acres and stuff like that. But most generally, we're able to do our pre's with uh, glyphosate and a dicamba product. Uh, how much dicamba are you using? Are you concerned about um, any residual that would carry into and hurt the wheat, possibly? Uh, when it comes to any dicamba, we make sure we're done with that at least three weeks okay. ahead of planting. Uh, we'll do straight glyphosate. Uh, we'll do that 10 days before planting because we want to make sure we break that green bridge if we're doing any wheat on wheat acres. Yeah, and when you talk about the green bridge, are you talking about uh, insects and mites, or do you think that applies to diseases as well, or or, or what kind of advantage do you think you, you get from breaking that green bridge? 
everything. <laughs> I think. <laughs> yep. I think you just. I think you hit the nail on the head. It, it's. Uh, yeah, we've seen it with insect issues from the Green Bridge and disease issues from the Green Bridge. We've got to break that bridge, and so we don't have any issues out in the field. Uh, we have started experimenting with some uh, low-rate insecticide passes uh, in that same pass, and uh, we feel it's a, it's a it's a good thing to do. Hey, I want to come back to, you mentioned you had used both Prepare and Sharpen. What kind of residual do you expect out of products like that? We figure, uh, like on the Sharpen, uh, we just wanted to make sure we had a good kill right away. And uh, a shorter residual is fine for us. On the Prepare, uh, we needed something that stuck around for a while uh, because we had to deal with all of that uh, wild oats. Yeah, the wild oats can be a, a real problem. So were you using that in front of spring wheat then, or was that in front of winter wheat? Uh, we did it on winter wheat. So a lot of a lot of farmers I talk to have a lot more problem with the wild oats in the spring wheat versus the winter wheat. And so what you're saying is even with winter wheat, you've been having an issue, especially on that new uh, ground. Yeah, it, yeah, it was on some new ground. And once we brought that into the program, it was night and day difference. It was a very small expense, but we got a great ROI on it. All right, so last question. I know this year has been pretty dry. What are you thinking in terms of crop rotation going into this next year? You mentioned you've done some wheat on wheat before. Are you thinking any of that, any more or less of that? Or what's kind of the outlook for small grains for this coming season for you at least? We're pretty much sticking with our normal plan. Even though we're being dry, we're going to keep our rotation. We're not going to switch around and try to chase a market because ultimately we don't know what the prices are going to be. Yeah, I, I you mentioned chasing the market. There are a lot of people talking about that right now that, hey, maybe I want to do this or maybe I want to do that. But um, unless you actually lock those things in, I agree with you, we don't really know. And so sometimes we become gamblers rather than just hedging and locking in what we can. But yeah, nobody knows what's going to happen over this next year. Hey, Lee, it's been great talking to you again today. Um, again, this is Lee Lubers. He's a farmer with Extreme Ag, and uh, he farms down in south-central South Dakota. Lee, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot. You bet. All right, let's go next to uh, the state of Washington. We've got Kirk Sager on with us. He's with FMC. Hey, Kirk, how are things going for you today? Pretty good, pretty good. It's still dry, still need some more rain, and, you know, it's like every place else in the, in the West. We're a little dry and a little smoky. Yeah, yeah, we haven't been so smoky here lately, but uh, we certainly were in the middle of the summer. Uh, say, Kirk, I mentioned a little bit earlier in the show this product you guys have, FMC, called Anthem Flex. Is that the main one you're talking to farmers about in terms of pre-emerge wheat herbicides? Yes, it is. We're talking to growers about Anthem Flex as a pre-plant and pre-emergence for uh, Italian rye, downy brome, and even some of the summer, the spring grasses. Italian ryegrass, downy brome, and specifically spring grasses. Where, which ones do you feel like you get the best control out of? So with a with a with a fall application, we still get great residual control of the spring emerging um, Italian rye, but we also see that we pick up the yellow and green foxtail as a fall application going to winter wheat or spring wheat. Yeah, and it makes sense with that group fifteen that is in there. So in terms of resistance issues that you have out in your area, are you seeing much mini grasses resistant to ALS or ACCA's chemistries at this point? 
Yeah, we're seeing a lot of resistance, um, you know, especially the Italian rye. The Downy Brome is, is emerging as a lot with a lot of Group 2 resistance, um, as well as the yellow and green foxtail in the spring. Um, but we are seeing that the Group 2 resistance and the LS resistance is actually becoming more and more prevalent. Yeah, and that's what I was mentioning a little bit earlier in the show. To kind of break that cycle, it is nice to get another mode of action in there, but you don't have a whole lot of choices. So, like I say, it's ALS, it's ACCase. Those are the two common ones that are are used. Otherwise, what are you going to do? So, Anthem Flex with that Group 15 in there uh, can work out pretty nice. So, talk to us just a little about the residual uh, more. You mentioned you're applying it in the People are applying it in the fall, yet they're still getting residual into the spring. Is it enough residual that they don't have to apply a grass herbicide in the spring typically, or do they still need to apply something in the spring? So we encourage most guys to, to make a spring application if they haven't burned out the group ones and group twos already, simply to keep all of these products viable and get us as close to that 100% control as we can where they've burned out the group ones and group twos. Um, you know, it becomes a little bit more of a struggle. We're not seeing any resistance issues with Anthem Flex yet or any of the group, um, that herbicide group. Sure. But we are, we, we still recommend guys to put your Anthem Flex down, get you 90, 95% control and rely on those group ones and twos to get you the last 5% and take more pressure off of them. Sure. Now, the other component that's in there is AIM, and that's a PPO. So can you talk to us about that and the burn-down qualities that that has for for you? So when we look at the burn-down advantage of, of a PPO that's in Anthem Flex, with that four-and-a-half-ounce rate, you're getting, I think, between six and seven-tenths of an, an ounce of, of AIM on the acre, which gives you great synergy with your Roundup and your other products you're putting on in that fall burn down or that pre-plant burn down and we see we really get a nice little uptick in in control of our broadleaves and our grasses yeah because even though it doesn't have residual it's nice having something else in there that has burn down activity because the group 15 component has nothing so if you throw it with glyphosate yeah i mean glyphosate's pretty nice but there are enough resistant weeds out there that's where i like having that ppo in there to help on the resistant weeds and, and, and it does. You're correct. It helps on the bristles and weeds, whether it's a little added kick on prickly lettuce, whether it's your kosher or your Russian thistles that have, that have made it through your summer fallow program. It's a nice kick to add into the tank. All right. Well, hey, Kirk, uh, thanks a lot for the time today. We appreciate that. And uh, it's nice talking about this herbicide that I don't think enough people are considering because like you say there is a lot of group one and group two resistance in the grasses that's getting going out in your direction we're seeing that even out our way as well again we've been talking to Kirk Sager he's with FMC Kirk thanks a lot appreciate it all right bye all right we'll talk just a little bit more wheat prees right after this and uh, then we're going to get into the ag phd mailbag as well if you would like to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Phil wants plant all day. 
The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts. And nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 corn heads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates, and the new Drago GT features quad suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago corn heads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. Today we're talking a little about wheat pre-emerge herbicides, but we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag pretty soon as well. Uh, next on the show, we've got Mark calling in from out in Colorado. He's a farmer out there. Hey, Mark, how are you? Not too bad. How are you today, Brian? I'm doing great. So we're talking wheat pre's a little bit today. Uh, what do you use for pre-emerge products in front of wheat on your farm? You know, we don't use a lot of pre's on our farm just because we're so dry. Yep. And some of the groups, uh, you know, specifically, you know, some of the group twos have a little bit of trouble getting activated. But, you know, one that we've used quite a bit in the in the past before has been prefar. 
um, prepare either one. We're, we're targeting some of the downy bromes on our farm, but you know, again, it, it, it's a little bit of a challenge. We're, we're so dry here in eastern Colorado that we really have a hard time getting some of these products to even activate. Yeah, when we talk about our spring crops, things like corn and soybeans that we are planting in the spring, I mean, um, we're able to get out so early if we want, way in front of planting. There's nothing growing because it's so cold. Well, it's a whole different deal if you start talking about, hey, we're in the summer or late summer. It's still hot, and then you're considering seeding a winter wheat or something. So, yeah, that certainly can be a little bit challenging. How about resistance, though? So you mentioned you've used uh, Prepare before. That's a Group 2 or an ALS. Do you have much in terms of resistance for any of your grasses out there? We're starting to see a little bit more uh, resistance in the grasses, especially some of the foxtails and maybe to a certain extent uh, barnyard grass. Yeah. You know, we're, we're kind of accustomed to some of the ALS uh, resistance more on the, the broadleaf side. You know, we certainly have a lot of ALS-resistant kochia in this area, but here in the last three to four years, because of our, our wheat fallow rotation, we're starting to see them pop up a little bit on the grass side as well. All right, so you haven't used prees a lot, but where are you using them specifically? Just on the weediest fields or in certain years, or what do you typically do? We're certainly using them where we feel our pressure is the greatest on the dryland acre, but where we really concentrate the use of a lot of our, our pre-plant uh, herbicides is on the irrigated side, where we can control that environment a little bit more. We, we have a little bit of a different flush in the fall on a lot of our irrigated farms, and uh, depending upon the time of the year, especially coming out of, say, a silage corn or something like that, where uh, we're wanting to, you know, not do as much tillage and go in there with a the product that helps us burn down and give us some residual control, that's where we'll really concentrate some of those herbicides. Now, you mentioned different flush on irrigated ground. Do you mean different weed species you're dealing with or just you're getting a lot more weeds because you have water there? Well, we're getting more weeds because we have water, but... You know, especially with a product like, say, maybe uh, a prepare, we might have really good control of that initial flush. But if we have kind of an open fall or whatnot, and we have a, a longer or extended growing period, it seems like that second flush, we just don't have the same amount of control. And so now we're maybe contemplating uh, mixing things up a little bit. Uh, we're talking about maybe using a little bit of Zidua on some of those acres this fall. Yeah to kind of broaden out that control window. And uh, we might even use a product maybe in the Group 4 family that has a little bit of a starring background to it. So how about, you mentioned broadleaf weeds just a little bit, but what kind of broadleaf pressure are you dealing with and what weeds specifically do you have on that broadleaf side? You know, you in in the spring after we come out of dormancy and the wheat comes back uh, to to life, we'll we'll have some kochia, a little bit of uh, red root pigweed, and a little bit of uh, lamb's quarter. But in the fall, we'll have a lot of our um, prickly lettuces, things like that that'll come up, and then certainly in the mustard family, lots and lots of mustard pressure. You know, tansy mustard. Uh, wild mustard, that's what we're kind of trying to control with some of those in the mustard family. And at least so far, you're getting decent control with post-emerge products for most of these weeds? Uh, I would say it's <laughs> different on any given year. Yep. You know, it's certainly not a silver bullet. Some years we have great control, and others uh, we've just thrown away the, the chemistry. 
So why do you think that is? Why why is it not working some years? I think it's timing. I, I yeah. think it's uh, some of the things we've had to do on our farm, spraying in cooler conditions. Yep. Uh, Eastern Colorado, we can be 85 degrees one afternoon in April, and the next day we might not break the 50s. And and so it's really difficult to, to spray any kind of acreage in that kind of weather environment. And so I think it's all timing dependent. Yeah, cool temps can really hurt herbicide performance, and then obviously weed size too, so sometimes we run into the same thing. If we have to wait, either we have rain or the weather's too cold, well, we wait a little bit, then the weed gets a little bigger, now it's a little tougher to kill, so yeah, that can be real problematic. That's just the reason why I was asking is I was just curious about Sharpen, if you'd ever tried any Sharpen Pre, just because that does do a good job on a lot of those broadleaf weeds. You know, we've looked at Sharpen before in the past. We're a little bit worried about some of the seed interaction where we have to be kind of planting in that inch, inch and a half uh, uh, or deeper environment. So we're a little bit sensitive to that. But, yeah, it's certainly something that we've contemplated before in the past. Uh, all right. Well, hey, Mark, thanks a lot for the feedback and the input there. It's uh, it's nice to hear that you're getting at least halfway decent control most years out of a lot of these products that you're working <laughs> on. Hopefully this next year will uh, will be even better. Uh, anyway, we've been talking to Mark from out in Colorado. Mark, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Be safe in the harvest. You bet. Thanks. You too. All right, so just to kind of wrap things up on the wheat pre side, there aren't a lot of herbicides that we're going to typically talk through with wheat pre's. So again, it's usually prepare and anthem flex more on the grass side, although both have decent activity on broadleaves. Um, then you've got sharpen that's no grass, all broadleaves. So that's uh, a little bit different. But like I say, yes, sharpen costs some money, but it's pretty good in terms of residual and especially in terms of burn down on winter annuals and, uh, and, and spring annuals or summer annuals as well. All right, right now let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, our first one comes in from Johnny, and he was watching our uh, uh, on, on our Ag PhD TV show a little bit about drain tile. And he, here is his comment. He says, so you're saying that the water runs off into a tube three feet down, and it doesn't leach nutrients, but if it runs off naturally, then it leaches nutrients? Nonsense here. Uh, Johnny, I, I think... Um, maybe you should re-watch what we put out there again. Because number one, things can leach down to the three feet depth. And they're going to leach down to some degree, but typically soil is going to filter the nutrients very well. And so about all you're going to end up with most of the time is a little bit of nitrate. In terms of the running off, um, there's no leaching when it runs off. What we're saying is literally runoff where you have fertilizer that's on top of the soil or in the the top inch or so of soil or even let's call it a tenth of an inch if you have any level of erosion then that's going to go off the field so what i encourage you to do is there's a really good uh publication that has been out for quite a number of years it's environmental benefits of tile drainage so just do a google search on environmental benefits of tile drainage it's out of university of guelph and it's a summary of like 86 studies that have been done over the years at universities so you can see that what we're saying here is if you put tile on the ground you're number one going to have way less erosion and number two you're going to have way fewer nutrients that are going downstream somehow some way so that's i guess what we're trying to talk about there 
All right, next one here is from Josh, and he says, I've taken one-acre grids and a few farms. We're planning VRT applications of phosphorus, potassium, and zinc. We're getting mixed answers on how many pounds of each nutrient it takes to raise the soil test one pound. Would love your opinion, and uh, we'll probably take as a fact, since you have done this for years, love your show. Uh, Oh, and it says, from Josh and Todd in central Illinois. Uh, Josh and Todd, I will just tell you, as a general statement, when we talk about parts per million in a six-inch soil test, you convert that to pounds per acre by multiplying times two because there are two million pounds in an acre's worth of soil, six inches deep, roughly. Okay, So you simply multiply times two. So if we want to raise the soil test one pound, then basically, or I should say, well, you talk about one pound. So I'll tell you what, let's let's get into this right after this break. I, I think it may take a little more explanation, but uh, we'll hit this right after the break. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. You work for results. That's why the Enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. 
keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. Right before the break, we got a question in from Josh and Todd in central Illinois wondering how many pounds of each nutrient it takes to raise the soil. Test one pound. Okay, to kind of go along with this, I also have a question here that Randy sent in. He says on the Ag PhD app, are the suggested nutrient levels in actual pounds or pounds of product? Uh, Okay. Uh, also, Randy sent a soil test along, and he's wondering on that one from that particular lab, is that actual pounds or pounds of the product you would apply? It looks to me like that is actual pounds that you need on your soil test. But anyway, let's talk about the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app real quick. So just as an example here, I pulled up corn, and I've got, I just plugged in 250 bushel corn. So grand total for potassium to raise 250 bushel corn, it takes 338 pounds of K2O potassium. All right, K2O potassium. So potash, for example, is 60% K2O. So if I simply take, um, let's see here, I want to just divide 338 divided by 0.6, Uh, That would mean I would need 563 pounds of potash for the complete plant needs. Now, granted, that is grain removal plus stover. So what I'm not saying you have to apply that much out there. But what I am saying is the app tells you actual pounds that you need. And then you just have to do the division based on the product that you're putting out there. So to answer Josh and Todd's question, typically what we find for most nutrients anyway, and you mentioned P, K, and zinc, if you want to raise the soil test one pound, then you put on one pound of actual product. Okay. Now, the other thing is, are we talking K2O or are we talking K? And you might say, well, wait a second. What is the difference there? Well, K is potassium. K2O is uh, potassium oxide. So when we're talking about K2O, that's 1.2 higher than K. So if I've got one pound of K, then I've got 1.2 on K2O. Same thing with phosphorus and phosphate. Phosphorus, um, you just multiply that times 2.6, and uh, and then you're at your phosphate that you would need. So anyway, I know that can be a little bit confusing. So what we always try to do is just make this thing really, really simple. Now, now for Josh and Todd, they asked the question about raising the soil test one pound. And a little bit earlier, I was bringing up the parts per million thing. So most of the time we get questions about how do you raise the soil test one part per million? Well, when you do that, don't forget, you got to double it to convert it over to pounds if we're talking about a six inch soil test. Okay. But anyway, yes, to answer the question specifically, to raise the nutrient a pound, it takes one pound of the actual nutrient. Now, the other thing is, don't forget, you've got to put enough out there for your removal for that crop, too. So don't be thinking that, well, I soil tested this fall, and next fall, I want to come back and have a soil test that's one pound higher. Well, you'd have to put on one pound more than what that crop is going to remove 
in terms of grain removal only. So anyway, I know it can be a little complicated. Don't get too worried about it. If And if let's put it this way. If you have specific questions on, okay, what do you think we should apply on this particular ground or something like that, then uh, we, were, we would certainly be happy to take that question and answer it anytime. All right, next one. This comes from Jerry, and he says, uh, hi, guys, can you tell me the three pre's you use in soybeans? I do tillage using prefix followed with Roundup, and I think I need something more. Uh, anyway, Jerry is from Michigan, by the way. Okay, so Jerry, prefix is just the combination of dual and Flexstar. So it's the active ingredients that are found in dual and Flexstar. So you got a group 15 and you got a PPO. We like saving both the dual and the Flexstar for early post. The three pre's that we talk about, it's a yellow. That'd be either trifluralin in tillage, and, and so that's what you would want to do when you're talking about tillage, and it's much cheaper than prowl, which would be the no-till version of, of trifluralin. Then use a little bit of metribuzin, and then on top of that, throw in a little either authority or valor. So if you do trifluralin, metribuzin, and either authority or valor, you're going to spend like 12 bucks an acre. It's not like you're going to spend a whole lot of money. Now, if you want to early post, like very early post, you could come with Prefix. That's dual Flexstar. We really, really like that. That's a great early post product um, if you feel like you need that. So on your weediest fields, I would do that. Otherwise, I'd just stick with the three pre's, and you should have pretty good control on a lot of the tough Roundup-resistant weeds. All right, let's see. Next one comes from Joseph, who says, uh, can you talk about the benefits of seeding a full-season cover crop? Uh, because he was commenting here on a video we put out on our, our television show about what is a fallow year. So anyway, in terms of a full season cover crop, Joseph, um, my feeling is if we're going to raise a cover crop, why don't we just raise a cash crop? So if we have enough moisture there to support a cover crop, then let's just raise a cash crop. Our problem isn't so let me step back. A lot of times with the cover crop, what we're trying to do is make the soil better. With a fallow year, what people are trying to do is conserve moisture. So we don't see that the cover crop does this great job of conserving moisture. In fact, it typically uses a bunch of moisture and then it kicks moisture out into the air. So I think it's going to defeat the purpose a little bit of having a fallow year. You can certainly try it if you want to. But I guess my contention is, hey, if we're going to spend some money and we're going to seed any crop, if you want to call it a cover crop, fine. But with a cover crop, you're getting no income. I want some income. So... If it was me, I would try, you know what, let's just get something that we can graze or bale, if nothing else, or raise whatever crop you actually like to raise. All right, uh, next one is from George, and he's from Bulgaria. He writes in occasionally with some questions for us. He's actually been to a couple of our workshops that we've had here in South Dakota, so it's pretty awesome. Uh, unfortunately, we've had, had problems with people trying to travel internationally lately. Uh, so it's, uh, it's been a little challenging, but anyway, George, thanks for this question. Uh, he says, I'm wondering about the combination of strip till and deep ripper. In one of your radio shows, you talked about the natural compaction layer in the soil that could be down at like 20 inches deep. Um, and so maybe you want to go with a deep ripper to try to break this layer up. Well, how do I combine this with strip-till technology? Maybe I have to use the ripper before strip-till, uh, but in that case, the soil becomes slightly swollen, and that's not good for the strips. So let's answer that question first. He's got another one here, too. 
I would just say, yeah, typically we are uh, doing this deep ripping if we want to, and and we may not do that in a year that we're going to go out there and strip till. We might do that in a year that is not the strip till year. The other thing that could be done is you could strip till in between where you've pulled those shanks. So for us, typically when we're trying to go super deep, then we're using more of a straight shank, narrow point, not totally turning everything because we are going so deep and we don't want to bring subsoil way up into the topsoil. But all we're trying to do is basically get way down there, lift the soil a little bit, create a little slice in that soil so now we can get roots going a little bit deeper. So I would tell you do it in a year where you're not going to strip till or if you want to, you could strip till in between potentially. So that's probably how I would handle that because I agree with you, it's probably not going to work the best to strip till right into that slot. Um, now you could if you want to wait a couple months or something like that, but going right into it, probably not the best idea. Next question he has, what's your opinion about broadcasting man manganese sulfate in winter wheat? Uh, the CEC of the soil is about 25 to 30. Should I apply it in the fall or in the spring? And any suggestion about the rate? Okay, so first of all, I would want to see the soil test. If you're short on manganese, then by all means, yes, manganese sulfate is a nice product. I have no issue with that whatsoever. You've got heavy soil. It's not like it's going to leach away or anything like that. So if it's me, I'm probably going to put it out in the fall before winter so at least that job gets done. So in terms of the rate, it all depends on how much manganese you need. I, I will say a lot of the, in Europe, there are some areas that have tremendously high wheat yields, and they've got soil test levels of manganese that are through the roof, two, three, four hundred parts per million. So, I mean, I'm not saying you need to fertilize for that, but I am saying manganese is a really important nutrient, especially when we start talking about wheat. Well, thanks again for that question, George. All right, so right after the break, we're going to talk just a little bit more about uh, soil pH in our next question. Stay tuned. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. 
If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 corn head with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more. Return more with a Drago corn head. For more information on Drago corn heads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. This is Ag PhD Radio. Just wrapping up our show today. We're in the Ag PhD mailbag answering your questions. This next one, talking about soil pH, is from Medicos. He says, hey, guys, thanks a lot. You've saved me a lot of money on my farm. Here's my question for you. I wonder if soil pH applies if we use organic fertilizers, such as cow manure, due to the high content of bacteria. Uh, so, yes, pH still absolutely does apply. Now, sometimes what we find is in heavily manured fields, we can throw the pH off for one reason or another. Sometimes with lots of manure, then we end up driving the pH down. Other times what happens is because of the sodium that is and some salts that are in manure, we might drive that pH up. Sodium, we often say, raises pH about 4 to 1 compared to calcium. So unless you have good drainage, then the continued use of manure and then the buildup of salts and sodium can raise pH. So yes, you still have to be paying attention to it, and I would say maybe even paying attention a little more closely to it in the long term, depending on how much manure you are using. All right, uh, next one here comes from Craig. He says uh, they are in southwest Kansas and under pivot. Well, we're wondering, he says, we're wondering what you think about our soil and plant tissue tests. Specifically, copper, manganese, and calcium seem to be low. If you had specific recommendations for how to help this year as well as next year, that would be great. Uh, this is late planted corn after oat hay, typically. Uh, so anyway, I, I will say, Craig, when I've looked at your soil tests here, the first thing that I notice is you got really light soil, six to eight for cation exchange capacity. So because of that, you have to be thinking all the time about the leachables. Uh, on boron, I don't have a test on your soil test, but your uh, boron levels in your plant tissue analysis, at least according to this lab, say you're in pretty good shape. But the ones that I get most concerned about are nitrogen, which does appear low, and then sulfur, which uh, at least in your tissue tests looks okay. Uh, but what I'm seeing on your soil tests is 
it doesn't look very okay to me there. So I'm guessing that you were applying sulfur as the season went along, and it's just something you're constantly going to have to be paying attention to. Now, there are other nutrients that aren't leachable that you still do need to address. In our opinion, you need to get your phosphorus levels up a little bit more. So when I start looking at malic phosphorus levels of 21 and 28 parts per million, to me that's a little bit on the low side for high-yielding corn. So I'm going to get a little more phosphorus out there. And then correlating right to the phosphorus are zinc and copper. Zinc and copper also don't really leach out of most soils, even with your 6 to 8 CEC. So if it's me, I'm trying to typically get my zinc in the ratio of 10 to 1 phosphorus to zinc, and I'm trying to get my copper in the ratio somewhere around the ballpark of 30 to 1 phosphorus to copper, something like that. All I know is, if it's me, I am going to get some more of both of those out there. It also looked like your manganese, yet single digit parts per million, uh, and iron as well. So yes, I'm probably going to address all those micronutrients, absolutely. Now, I, I also want to say, calcium, we were just a little bit concerned when both Darren and I looked at your soil tests and we saw your calcium levels were low. And then on your plant tissue analysis, it said your calcium was low there as well. That does make some sense to us. What we're usually shooting for at a bare minimum is 65% calcium. Well, your magnesium is 23, 24%, which for light soil isn't terrible. So I wouldn't make major adjustments or anything. But one of the ways I might consider getting some sulfur out there every year is using just a little bit of gypsum. That's calcium sulfate. And so, again, if it's me, I'm probably going to use just a little bit of gypsum. You don't need to get real carried away, but a little bit, that would be in pretty good shape. Uh, then you would be in pretty good shape, I should say. All right, so next one here uh, is from TF, and he, we're talking about deep tillage here. He says, in 2016, we dropped our Wishick disc with 13-inch spacing down to the layer below our topsoil. In our case, this is a clay layer underneath lighter, sandy, loam, black topsoil. By mixing it together, we made what he terms here, weaker topsoil. But because we put a lot of hog manure on, we increased that thickness of our topsoil layer in hopes that the process increases yield over time. We did this again after the mud harvest of 2019 in order to close the ruts. Now in the fall of 2021, we'll see after harvest if we can still come up with a little clay or whether our topsoil has grown beyond the depth of our disc, discs and soil tests and soil tests hopefully will confirm the quality of our efforts. Uh, so TF, yes, um, we have done a little bit of that in the past. We also have deep injected manure to try to create more topsoil going down deeper, and we have done that with success. So exactly what you're saying can work, but you just have to keep in mind, if you're bringing up subsoil into that topsoil, that subsoil is lacking humus, it's most likely lacking nutrients, and so you have to apply a little bit more to kind of make up for that. But sure, in time, you can absolutely build more topsoil. All right, next question here comes from Brian up in Ontario, Canada. He says, hi, guys, love the show. Keep up the great work. I have a question about nitrogen fertilizer and how long it takes to come takes to become available to the corn plant. Our soil is a clay loam, and we live in an area of around 2,900 heat units. So I like applying a urea and ammonium sulfate mix in the spring and then top dressing my corn with the same nitrogen dry mix when the corn is around the six-leaf stage. Uh, we calculate nitrogen rates using the IPHD app and apply a rate based on residual amounts of nitrogen and factor in the land CEC. 
approximately when, or, or in other words, like how many days, how many weeks, is that nitrogen from urea and ammonium sulfate available to the plant under normal conditions? Okay, so Brian, by normal, we have to have moisture and we have to have heat. As long as we have moisture and heat, urea is available almost instantly. With ammonium sulfate, that's that takes time to fully break down. So in the range of 30 to 60 days is usually what they'll say for the full complete release on that ammonium sulfate. So you're you're pretty smart, I would say, by using this combination. You've got something that releases right away in urea, something that releases over time in ammonium sulfate. So it's no wonder that's been working for you in the past. I will tell you, I'm always hesitant to do top dressing. I don't like it. I don't want to do that on my farm just because I don't like the leaf burn that we get out of that sometimes. But if you've been doing it and you've been having success with that, then I, I, I guess I, that's certainly fine. You absolutely can do it. It just always makes me a little bit nervous. And where we see the most problem is when we have water on those leaves. So as long as the leaves are dry, we don't have any... Uh, dew or rainfall that's coming or anything like that, then we're usually in pretty good shape. All right, next question is from Gary. His question is they about CRP. He says he has 100 acres of CRP. It was seeded six years ago with five different types of grasses. He used Grazon in the past to control Canada thistles. What's better? Well, I would say Milestone is the very best thing you can get for use in CRP grasses. That will give you fairly long residual and it is lights out on thistles. It's even better than the Tordon that is in Grazon. And the challenge with the Grazon is you had 2,4-D and Tordon together. It's just that the Tordon rate is pretty low. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's it's not a horrible rate or anything, but it's not like if you went out there with seven ounces of milestone, the full rate of milestone, I mean, you are going to kill your Canada thistles for this year, probably for next year, and hopefully for the year after that as well. All right, next question is from Ben, and he was just asking about repairing sodic soil. Um, is sodium okay as a nutrient? Well, Ben, yes, some amount of sodium is okay as a nutrient. A lot of times we're looking for maybe 1% in our soil tests uh, on the base saturation test, a half a percent to 1%, especially for some of the brassica species. But there there are a few different plants out there that like to have some, some sodium, but you don't want to get very carried away. Anything over 1% sodium, usually we start talking about that being a yield limiting factor. So we just always encourage people to monitor their sodium levels because when they start going up, it can be problematic um, to many different crops. And the challenge with the sodium is it's not leachable in the sodium form. You've got to turn it into a salt. And that means you've got to combine it with something else. So a lot of times people will use sulfate combined with the sodium. Well, now you form sodium sulfate. Now it actually can flush out. But the problem with that is you have to have a way for stuff to get flushed out. So usually where we see sodium issues and sodium buildup is in poorly drained soils. Until you fix that drainage, well, that sodium is going to remain. But even once you fix the drainage, like I say, make sure you convert that sodium over to a salt. Then it's leachable. Then you can actually get it out of the soil. All right. Uh, before we close for the day, I just want to say thanks to my sister Janelle. She was running the controls for me. Uh, thanks to our guests we had on earlier in the show. And thanks to everyone who wrote in with questions. And thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.